On today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, Sherlock Holmes is dead. Well, someone dressed like him, not the Sherlock Holmes. There's all kinds of suspects, and Jessica has to solve her very first murder while also publishing her first book when I talk about the pilot movie. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Murder, She Wrote podcast, where I watch every single episode of the hit 80s slash 90s show, Murder, She Wrote, starring three-time Academy Award nominee and five-time Tony Award winner, Miss Angela Lansbury. Today I'm going to be talking about the pilot movie that started it all, The Death of Sherlock Holmes, air date September 30th, 1984. If you have not listened to my intro episode, I will explain to you um, briefly what I said in that episode because most people um, skip that episode. Even though Anchor said to do it, most people skip that episode. So I'm your host, DJ Craig. This is the Murder, She Wrote podcast. And I started originally started this two years ago on YouTube in the simplest of ways. I would record on my laptop, and then I would make a video on Windows Movie Maker, you know, fit to, you know, do like a snapshot of the episode, do the auto, fit it to the project, that sort of thing. The simplest way that you can do it. Well, everything was going well. I was doing really great with the podcast. It blew up um, on YouTube. I had over a thousand views, 27 likes. And so many wonderful comments and gaining a lot of subscribers when suddenly um, my computer monitor decided to crash and I had to figure out a different way to do it. I'd heard about Anchor on several of the podcasts I listened to and decided that I had to do it this way. And realized I have to start all over again from scratch and put it on this platform. And I'm new to this technology because I grew up in the 90s from the age of floppy disks and CD-ROM. And you couldn't be on the phone and the internet at the same time. And honestly, I'm learning as I go with this whole thing. With my intro episode... I'm already apparently on multiple platforms, which I have never even heard of. So I hope that you, and it's going to be a challenge because like, um, I have ADHD. It's hard for me to focus on a task sometimes. Um, but with my new laptop that I just got, I can walk around and record the episode. I don't have to sit in one spot. So that works for me. Um, so I'm going to try to do... A new episode every Tuesday and Friday. Obviously, I'm going, I'm doing, going to post this episode today on Thursday, but I will get to a schedule eventually. So, if you're still with me after that long intro, if you followed me from YouTube to here, welcome. Um, I did a whole video on my YouTube channel explaining exactly why I had to restart the podcast and come here. Um, so today I'm going to be talking about the pilot movie, which aired on September 30th, 1984, a fantastic pilot movie. What most people 
don't doesn't know about Murder She Wrote is that it started off as a as a movie, and the first official episode of the show was actually Deadly Woman. I think it's what it was as the name of that. That's the first official episode. This is considered a movie. But in syndication, it was syndicated into two different parts, messing up the episode numbers. So this is not an episode. This is a movie. So this will be titled Episode 1 of the podcast, Pilot Movie, The Death of Sherlock Holmes. That's what it's going to be titled. That's what I'm going to title it. Um... And I love this. Like, I have seen this multiple times. And just a heads up, I spoil everything there is to spoil about the episode, the murderer, the suspects, everything in between. Not just, I mean, I know that we're talking about the pilot movie in this episode, but I'm talking about, like, in general. Like, as, as I get into the episodes, I spoil them, I analyze them, I talk about them. And I talk about the suspects and the murderer's motivation, especially that because it's just amazing. The links they go to. Um, but Murder, She Wrote is one of my all-time favorite shows because I can watch this show again and again. And even though in the back of my mind, I've seen it over a thousand times, and I know who the murderer is, it still surprises me every single time. The things that they did in this pilot movie. The death of Sherlock Holmes was symbolic to the death of the male detective as this was going to be a female-driven show. And it ran for 12 seasons on CBS and um, is the longest-running mystery show with a female in the lead. So, and no show has broke that record so far, as far as I know. So, so fantastic. All right, so let's get into the pilot movie of Murder, She Wrote. For those of you out there who may not know, who are listening to this for the first time, um, and you've never seen Murder, She Wrote before in your whole entire life, the show is about a retired school teacher who has a habit of writing murder mysteries and happens to come across several murder cases wherever she seems to go. And there's conspiracies all over the internet where she killed them all herself and just wanted to get the credit for solving their murder. <laughs> but I don't believe that. Um, the pilot movie premiered on September 30th, 1994. For those of you who may not know about the, what a pilot movie is, Way back when, when you could get television via an antenna, and there wasn't something called cable, um, they would test the waters with a new series by doing a movie of the week, which was a way to see if the public loved the show without going as far as to wasting their time ordering a full-fledged season of a show to see if the world would actually like it and watch it. They did this with such popular shows as Little House on the Prairie, The Waltons, Baywatch, Charlie's Angels, and Columbo, and so many others. And imagine, imagine, you guys, 
if they did this with so many shows released nowadays, like, it would have saved us so much time if we saw a movie first, and if we wanted to watch it, we would tune in. But it's like, with the shows nowadays, they just sort of throw them out there in hopes that they will be good, unlike what they did back then. So, lucky for us, the movie got huge ratings, and the rest, as they say, is history, and Murder, She Wrote ran on CBS for 12 seasons, and I have all of them on DVD, which is the way I would recommend watching them, because um, if you watch the show for free on NBC's Peacock app, you will get the syndicated version of the pilot movie. Um, which shows the opening credits from the show, which don't debate until the first episode. Um, so, and cutting it into two different parts cuts a lot of the story out. So I would recommend getting the DVD where you can see it in its entirety as it originally aired. And a lot of the episodes are like that as well. And I absolutely loved, loved the series and having it during the pandemic you know, has been wonderful because I could just take out the DVDs, watch them whenever I want to without any commercials, and just be entertained for hours and hours at a time. So let's dive into this wonderful, wonderful introduction to a wonderful show starring the woman that gave us Mrs. Potts and was the very first Mrs. Lovett and is a phenomenal actress. Underrated, in my opinion, because she's so fabulous. Alright, so we start off this episode, and spoilers, because we're getting into it now, and I'm going to be telling you everything that happened in the episode. So if you're like me, when you're watching a podcast, and just go watch the episode first, and then come back and listen to me. Sit back, relax, and see if we notice the same things. Spoilers, 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 because here we go. All right, so we start off this episode. I mean, I'm sorry, this movie. Even I do it sometimes. Um, in very typical 80s fashion, because all of you know who were born in the 80s that 1984 had one of the biggest... Um, movies, Ghostbusters, as well as Friday the 13th Part 4. So we had some really awesome movies released that year, as well as Gremlins. Absolutely love Gremlins. Um, so we have sort of like a horror situation going on. A woman comes down the stairs holding a candle. It's very creepy. It's very dramatic and she's trying to close the doors because the wind has opened them and like things are happening and she opens a door and there's the killer and she screams and there's all this dramatic and we find out it's a play yep it turns out that mrs fletcher is watching a play her and her friends who we never see beyond the pilot movie they never appear in the show um is sitting there watching a play and and he and the director's like, Who are you? And she's like, You asked us to come here. And he's like, Well, it's a closed rehearsal, and why would I do that? I don't even know you, lady. And uh 
they're, they're like, we're from the PTA. And he's like, oh, the cookie ladies. And so he goes up to them and he meets them. So he goes up to them and he meets them. And uh, one of them says, oh, your play was simply divine. The other one says that it was really good. And uh, Mrs. Fletcher says, and I'm pretty sure that no one would be able to venture a guess that the uncle's the killer. And they go outside. The director goes running after them. And he's like, uh, how did you know that the uncle is the killer? And she goes, he is? Oh, how wonderful. I just ventured to guess. Um, and then she introduces her friends, which I, even many times as I have seen this this movie, um, I don't know their names. And it doesn't really matter because they don't show up in the show. So it doesn't really matter. But um, he's like annoyed and, and um, he's like, yeah, that's great. Nice to meet you. How did you know the uncle was the killer? And um, she says, well, during the dinner scene, he changed his tie. And obviously he had to do that for a reason. And then there was the weird phone call where he talked about the decom decombustion, decom decomposition of the body. Sorry. Um, and he wouldn't have known that if he didn't, if he hadn't overheard the conversation between the nurse and the doctor. And she goes, oh, well, excuse me, here am I explaining your play to you and uh she says well the girls and i we will basically just catch the second act tomorrow like anyone else and they leave and the director is like oh my god and calls for the writer and and says we gotta change the ending now or whatever and when they come outside of the theater, which I do not think we ever see this theater again in Cabot Cove, I could be wrong. Um, but the name of the play is something terrible. Like, really? That's not a good title. Something terrible? That's it? Okay. So, and what's worse is there's so much emphasis on this this whole thing when it opens that you think this is going to be important for the rest of the movie. No, just like a blip on the radar, not important at all. And it's just so funny. You know, she's basically ruined this guy's play and he has to come up with a new ending and we never know what happens there. So after this, we get a montage of the opening credits, not the actual opening but we do get the theme song that I played for you briefly. Hopefully you can hear me as I'm doing the intro and the music too. Um, but uh, we get several scenes that will end up in the opening with just Jessica Fletcher typing. And then at the end, she closes the book and the name murder she wrote on the book. Um, and we see some of the stories she's writing, like Arnold reached out his hand. I really would like to know what Arnold saw. And so many people have like commented that um, in several like murder she wrote posts on, on Twitter and everything. Like, what did Arnold see? You know, and what book is that from? <laughs> but that doesn't happen in the movie because we're not in the series yet. 
So we just get her jogging around town, her on her bike, which is a shot that ends up in the show. She's cleaning her gutters. She's waving to someone. She's just doing random stuff around town. And the pilot movie doesn't really establish that she lives in a town called Cabot Cove until the first episode. So, I mean, it's there. There's a sign, but blink and you'll miss it. And that's basically, you know, how it goes. So after this montage, she's jogging and she runs and she hears her phone ringing. She goes into her house and it's her nephew, Grady. Grady is an accountant and he's doing the books for a fast food guy named Captain McCallum. And Mrs. Letcher says, you know, you might mention that the food is not so good because, or do something about the food because the girls and I went to go try it and it's not very good. And Grady's like, I'm not the cook. Aunt Jess, I'm just the accountant. And then he says, so do you remember my last visit? Well, I found your manuscript. She goes, you found my book? He said, yes. And I read it. She was like, well, it's okay that you read it, but I wouldn't want anyone else to read it. And he's like, oh, well, that's kind of why I'm calling because um, I have this friend um, who works for Coventry House and she read it and she loved it and they want to publish it. And she's like, they want to publish my book? She was like, it was just a hobby that I took up after your uncle died. I never dreamed. And he's like, that's your problem, Aunt Jess. You never dream. And it's about time you did. And she was like, well, Grady, just because they publish my book doesn't mean that anyone's going to read it. But apparently she lets them publish it because the next thing we see is... um. The book has reached the number eighth bestseller and then reached to number two. So Grady calls her again. He's at his job about to go into a meeting and he says, everybody loves your book, Aunt Jess. Nobody can get enough of it. And it's called The Corpse Dance at Midnight. And I want to read it. I wish they would do, wish they would have done like a mock publishing of it because the details they give us, I want to read it. I seriously do. Um... So, he's like, you need to come to New York. All these people want to interview you because they really like you. And uh, she's like, oh, I'm not so sure. You know, I'm just this time, this, you know, English teacher in Maine. I don't know if they'd be interested in me. And he's like, but it's all been arranged. Barbara Walters wants to interview you. They want to book you on the Today Show. Phil Donahue and Jessica's like Donahue and her friends are sitting in the background at her table and uh she says well I guess I can do it I don't I don't know but okay and he's like oh I gotta go meetings happening and pretty much hangs up on her not meaning to and they're and her friends are like are you going to be on television she's like I'm afraid so and then her friends are like, not looking like that, you aren't. And she's like, what? What's wrong with that? And, and um, one of her friends goes, Jessica, millions of people will be watching. You, you have to be with it now. And there's like this montage of where she's supposedly supposed to be getting a, a makeover. But let me tell you, like, I don't see any difference once she's done. 
And there's even this weird moment where, like, the postal worker comes to the beauty shop and uh, looks at the picture that they're trying to do to her hair and then looks at her and just shakes his head. And I don't understand that. Like, what are you trying to say, dude? But she looks perfectly the same to me. Um, Grady and his friend, Kit Donovan, meet Jessica at the airport. Um, and of course, as you know, longtime Murders Hero fans know that Grady is a recurring character on the show and is gets into as much murder mistress mischief as Jessica herself does. Um... <laughs> But this is Kit's only appearance in the Murder, She Wrote universe. She never makes another appearance, and the actress that plays her does not have a lot of credits on IMDb. Um, so, she meets her, they meet her at the train, and there's this hilarious exchange where, where uh, she's like, so I, get, I take it you're the person who got me into this, and she's like, guilty, I'm so sorry, but... I just couldn't put it down. It was so great. And she was like, and Grady's told me so much about you. And uh, Mrs. Fletcher says, oh, well, that's nice considering that Grady has told me absolutely nothing about you. So... She's wearing, like, a beret or something like a beret or or something and she says well here i am i'm not exactly a, a greta garble but i hopefully this is good enough and grady says are you kidding you're beautiful and she's like well that's all that matters right so she also meets a really nice man named daniel i mean mrs fletcher is the kind of person is the type of person where you basically go, like, she can have a conversation with anyone and that person opens up to her and tells her stuff about their life. Like, apparently Daniel's son is hoping for a scholarship so he can go to college. And poor Daniel, you know, he's often at the train helping Mrs. Fletcher throughout the, the movie She's always getting on and getting off. It's really funny. So, uh, Kit says that they want her to go meet Preston Giles, who is the owner of the company. So they go and meet him, go into his office and he comes in he's completely oblivious to Mrs. Fletcher being there he doesn't acknowledge her presence until Kit like gets in front of the door looks at him and says uh Mr. Giles and he turns around he looks and he sees Mrs. Fletcher and he's like oh right I totally forgot hello Mrs. Fletcher so nice to meet you and then she says like a hilarious thing she was like do you eat apples and uh, he's like, uh, what? She was like, they're very good for the complexion, you know. You look really gray. And he's like, well, as a matter of fact, I've had a hard time sleeping lately. And she's like, 
apples. <laughs> and it's just so random, but just so funny. So Kid apologizes because he seemed to be busy and she said, Oh, that's okay, no no problem. And um she's she says, Shall we entertain the masses? So she goes on this talk show with a guy who uses a lot of like intelligent words and thinks he's better than everyone else. And um she says well, I never intended for the book to be published. You know, it was just a hobby. You know, some people knit, other people paint. I write mysteries. And the guy says, so you never intended to write literature. How nice, how quaint. And she says, well, the people seem to enjoy. And he says, oh, yes, the people. Well, Mrs. Fletcher, as you and I both know, it doesn't take that much to entertain the people in Dubuque. I mean, how else do you explain television? And then she gives a sassy comeback, I guess, not even realizing it is a comeback. She was like, oh, I couldn't explain it. That's your business, not mine. <laughs> I love it. So then she goes on this radio talk show and he's like trying to get like information out of her. There's a lot of smoke in the room and she's like wiping her nose. She's coughing. And uh, she talks about not wanting the book to be published again. And she, and, the radio host says, um, oh, look at that, folks. She stole the idea from her nephew. She goes, I didn't say that. And then he goes, we're going to go um, for a quick break, but we're here with Jennifer Fletcher. And she's like, Jessica. And he opens the door to try to let some of the smoke out, but it doesn't seem to help. And he's like, come on, lady, we're dying here. It's like dead air. Like, is there anything? Do you have a prison record? Then she gets, like, on a Finimus show, and the woman is like, there are so many Finimist undercuts in your novel, Mrs. Fletcher. And she was like, well, I didn't really intend. She was like, oh, come on. I think it is very ambitious for you to make the pregnant ballerina the murderer. And it's like, I really want to read this book. <laughs> a pregnant ballerina is the murderer. I want to read this book. Um... So, <laughs> she is watching this interview on television, and she's sitting in a bucket, like her feet are in a bucket of water, and she's sneezing, and she's just not feeling good. Then, I guess she's back at it because she's signing books in a bookstore. This guy comes up with eight copies, and she's like, my, eight copies. To whom should I inscribe them? And he says, just sign your name, honey. If you ever become something, maybe they'll be worth big bucks later on. <laughs> then we see her signing autographs. A, a bunch of people are standing around her and she's signing autographs. And uh, 
She's signing autographs. And suddenly this woman comes up and says, UJB, UJB Fletcher. And she says, well, yes. And she gives her a piece of blue paper. And uh, she says, don't write on it, read it. And she does. And it's a subpoena. She was like, that'll teach you to steal ideas from Agnes Peabody. And she walks away. And at this point, Mrs. Fletcher has had enough. She has been in New York for now two days. And she's like, I want to go home. I've had enough. And Kit's like, oh, but Mrs. Fletcher, please stay. You know, I'm so sorry that this happened, but please stay. And she's like, nonsense, child. I am leaving. <laughs> and Mr. Giles meets them at the train with some roses to persuade Mrs. Fletcher to stay. He is um, having a party and wants her to stay for the weekend. And if she doesn't have a good time, he will put her on the train himself. So she has no choice but to stay. In the car, they talk about Agnes Peabody and apparently she's just a crock a crackpot who thinks that she wrote every single book and that it won't amount to a thing and that she has those subpoenas printed up herself that they're not official and mrs fletcher said so she's just one another old biddy which i don't know if they use that term anymore um but i was kind of hoping there would be more like to it you know like there's was so much emphasis on it like a big deal as she came up to her and made a big deal of giving her the paper i thought there would like be more repercussions just like with the play but that's okay so they get to preston giles's house and he has he just so happens to know grady's boss captain mccullen and his wife louise mccullen and uh they're at his house and Captain McCollum is skeet shooting. He apparently owns a chain of seafood restaurants. Um, and apparently, according to Mrs. Fletcher, the food's not really good. Um, he's skeet shooting. Louise goes up to the house. It's a huge mansion. I think I've seen it somewhere before. I don't know where I've seen it in, but it's probably been in several movies. Um, and she meets Mrs. Fletcher and she's like, I've been dying to meet you. I loved your book. I couldn't put it down. Really, I, I really couldn't. It was so good. And then she asks Mrs. Fletcher, she says, who are you coming as tonight? I don't want to clash. And Preston says, oh, well, she hasn't decided yet. And uh, <laughs> Louise walks away and says, well, I hope that don't end up wearing the same thing and mrs fletcher says what is she talking about and he says oh no i forgot to tell you tonight is a costume party we're coming as our favorite literary character and and she he goes and you don't have anything to wear do you she said well <laughs> i can always come as lady godiva <laughs> uh it gets me every time and she clicks her tongue and then we cut to that night, the party's in full swing. 
Um, there's a knock at the door. This woman comes in dressed as Peter Pan. She's Mrs. March. Um, no other explanation is given. Um, there are several people walking around wearing various different costumes. Captain McCollum is wearing a is wearing the Sherlock Holmes costume and is openly flirting with a woman dressed as Red Riding Hood, um, going as far as to putting his hand on her butt. Which, for the first time watching this again in a long time, I noticed that the woman dressed as Little Red Riding Hood is from Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. She's uncredited, of course, because she has no lines. Um, we get introduced to our key players, Ashley Vickers, who works um, in Captain McCollum's company. Um, not only does he, I mean, he has his own office building and a bunch of people work for him. Um, and we get introduced to Broadway composer Peter Braille, played by Burt Convy, who is known for more being a game show host than acting, but he does a fantastic job here. Um, Jessica comes down the stairs at this moment, and she is dressed in a pink dress with a magic wand, and she says that she's Cinderella's fairy godmother, but she looks like Glinda, the Good Witch of the North, from The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) That's what it looks like to me, and I always say that. Preston Giles is amazed that they were able to come up with this costume at the last possible second, which even I'm amazed. Like, where did they get it? Where did it come from? And all Mrs. Fletcher says is her and Louise was able to come up with something at the last possible second, and it's like, but how? How? But I guess it doesn't matter. We then get introduced to a guy dressed up as Humpty Dumpty, who's apparently a practical joker and is also talking about eggs and stuff, doing like egg puns and different little jokes. And you think there's going to be like emphasis on this character, but unfortunately there's not. Um, He doesn't really have anything to do in the episode at all, except to be Humpty Dumpty. And that's about it. So it appears that Kit and Brady are dating, um, He's dressed up like Robin Hood, and I don't know what she's supposed to be. She kind of looks like a burlesque stripper from Gypsy, but I could be wrong. Um, As many times as I've watched this, I've tried to figure it out, and I can't. I have no idea what she's dressed as. Um, They're outside, away from the party. They're kissing, enjoying each other's company. And Grady says, am I seeing things, or is that a light in my room? I never understood this scene. Grady runs into the house and instead of going to Mr. Giles and saying, hey, there's somebody upstairs with a flashlight in my room or calling the cops or anything, Grady runs up the stairs, gets the guy in his room, punches him, and they're literally punching each other. And then he tries to run and Mrs. Fletcher trips him with her wand. And it's like, dude, at no point Do you say, who are you? What are you doing in my room? You just go, boom, you just punch him. And it doesn't make any sense at all. Like, I don't understand why they would do that. So, 
They're in Mr. Giles's study, and he says that his name is. Mr. Baxtendale. Dexter Baxtendale. And he's a private investigator um, hired to investigate one of the guests at his party, but he cannot say who. And Mr. Giles says he's going to call the police, but he says no. I would not do that if I were you, and Dexter Baxtendale is British. So so is um, Sherlock Holmes. Make that note. Um, so <laughs> he lets him go because his hands are tied. Um, and as he's about to go out, he looks at a statue, which is the justice lady with the blindfold on. And uh, he says, you know, forgive me. I've been sitting here wondering during our chat who you're dressed as. And I just figured it out. You're the Count of Monte Crisco. And he says, well, yes, Mr. Baxtendale. You have good taste. I'm almost afraid that I am throwing you out. And he says, yeah, very well. So he leaves. Louise tries to leave the party. But Captain McCaleb doesn't want to leave. She's dressed as a saloon girl. Um, Ashley Vickers is dressed as the evil stepmother from Snow White. And Peter Braille is dressed as Ebenezer Scrooge. And uh, he doesn't want to leave. She's clearly drunk and decides to go drive home. Even though Grady tries to help her, she throws him down on the road and goes driving off by herself. Peter Braille ends up entertaining the guests with various songs on the piano. Um, apparently, him and Ashley Vickers have a weird history because she finds him annoying when he's singing. They talk about Captain McCollum. It's rumored that the two of them have been hitting the sheets, but... She assures them that they're that the only thing between them is business and that he's off with Little Red Riding Hood. And then she spills her drink on her dress. Mrs. Fletcher insists upon getting the stain out and doing some sort of weird concoction. They go in the kitchen. Preston's on the phone with someone. And she says, who was that? And he says, a very insistent New York Times reporter that insists on interviewing you on Monday. I told him you were go you were went off to Pango Pango and wasn't expected back until the turn of the century. And she puts this weird concoction, baking soda, eggs, and some other stuff, and he's like, I don't know what that is, but I'm not eating that. And uh, she says, Oh, it's an old family recipe, guaranteed to take the spots off a leopard, because. And we're going to go up to one of the bedrooms and put this on your dress. Meanwhile, the party winds down and it's the next day. Everyone is passed out, including Mr. Humpty Dumpty. Um, as Peter plays into the night. And he also talks about how he has an off-Broadway off show. 
um, on 17th Street and sings different songs. And it's the next morning, Mrs. Fletcher is out jogging. Louise comes by and uh, she says, don't tell me, I look like hell and I feel worse. And I'm in no mood for a lecture. She said, I'm coming by to get Caleb. He didn't come home last night. I was, I was wondering if he slept over. And Mrs. Fletcher said, well, I don't know anything about that. And she's like, it's okay. I know where he is, where he was last night. It's no big deal. Then they hear a scream. And it's Kit. She's discovered a body, a dead body in the pool with a gun with blood sitting on the side. And the person is wearing the Sherlock Holmes costume. Louise comes and she sees and she thinks that her husband is dead. Dun, dun, dun. And then we get introduced to Chief Gunderson. Chief Gunderson is played by Ned Beatty, the Oscar-winning actor who recently passed away a couple months ago who starred in such films as Deliverance, the Superman films, Network, and played John Goodman's father on Roseanne. He was such a great actor, one of my favorite actors, really, and he left such a legacy behind, such a wonderful actor, and it was so nice to see him in this again, because he's so good. Um, he play, He's kind of probably one of my favorite detectives in the history of murder she wrote because some of them are not so nice to Jessica when she's helping them solve the crime but he is more than willing to let her help him and he's kind of presented as a bumbling fool detective but in the end he does piece together some important things of evidence he's really a great a really great actor and I hope he's resting in peace this is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. So, he's talking to all the key suspects about what happened. Kit discovered the body. A doctor that was there gave her a sedative who was dressed as a pirate. Um, Humpty Dumpty is gone, never to be seen nor mentioned again in the rest of the movie. Don't ask why, I don't know. Um, so then, as he's talking and trying to get the facts straight, Mrs. Fletcher is seen walking behind him in the window behind him, doing random things that just make me laugh. Like she's walking around looking at something, then she has her hands behind her back looking up, so eventually Chief Gunderson wraps up the questioning and goes outside and then she's trying to climb up a trellis and he says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, ma'am, what are you doing? She's like, oh, Chief Gunderson, I should have, I should have asked your permission, but don't worry. I didn't disturb any evidence. And he says, but what are you doing? She was like, well, did, uh, any of them inform you of the intruder we had last night? He said, a, Dex a Dexter Baxtendale? Yes, what about him? He said, well, he was found on the second floor in my nephew's room. And he obviously had to climb up this trellis to get up there. And 
these had to be basically slip-on shoes. But the victim, but the shoes on the body was rubbed so soft rubber sole shoes. And that's how he had to get up there. And then Chief Gunderson says, wait a minute, so you're saying that the man in the pool wasn't Captain McCallum? McCollum? Sorry. And suddenly, Captain McCallum, McCollum, sorry, again, hard to pronounce last names, um, comes up behind them and says, it sure the hell wasn't. And he's like, oh my god, you're alive! And he was like, you know, Gunderson, you were never a good detective, and, uh, and course this is uncalled for and he's like yeah so louise sees him outside the window and goes oh my god caleb you're alive and cries and he says don't worry i'm fine then she slaps him and says well i'm not and then she slaps him again and she's like that's for last night and all the other last nights you put me through so they run the fingerprints and the man in the pool is in fact dexter black's Baxtendale, the private detective, and he was hired by Mr. McCollum because somebody is leaking out personal information about his company and he wants to wade out who it is. And he was, he had figured it out and was going to report to tell him that night. He never got to do that because he was thrown out. But the question remains, did the killer think that he was killing Baxtendale or Captain McCullum? Dun, dun, dun. As they leave the house, Jessica has this weird look on her face and Chief Gunderson gets into the limo with her and he's like, ma'am, I read your book. And she was like, oh, how nice. He said, well, just because I read it doesn't mean I liked it. But you notice things. You notice the little details that all of us dismiss. And I saw you have that look back there, just like you were looking about the shoes. So what are you thinking? She was like, well, Chief Gunderson, I don't know if the killer was after Mr. Baxendale or if he was after Mr. McCollum. It doesn't make any sense. She goes to her to hotel room and she decides to pack up her things and she decides to go back to Cabot Cove. She has to do a class for a friend of hers to fill in for her. Grady says that she would probably be able to solve the case and she'd be leaving behind Mr. Preston Giles. Mrs. Fletcher seems to be falling in love with him and they seem to be hitting it off quite nicely. But she decides that she wants to leave. She goes to the train. She meets Daniel again. And she's about to get on the train when Kit comes and says, Oh, Mrs. Fletcher. Oh, thank God I caught you. They've arrested Grady. So Mrs. Fletcher goes to the police station. And Grady's been, is a suspect, but not has not been arrested. They apparently found a Pacific document in Baxtendale's car that Grady had access to, and he was found snooping around in Grady's room, so they think 
two and two is four, and Grady is the one that's been leaking out the information about Mr. McCollum, McCollum's business, or whatever it is. And uh, Jessica says, she was like, my nephew doesn't didn't do it, and and it doesn't make any sense. And he says, well, he is the suspect right now. I mean, all arrows are pointing to him. And he said, but I'm not the one doing the questioning. These federal agents are. And Preston comes and he says, as soon as I heard, I came. He was like, don't worry. We're going to get on the best lawyers. This is not going to, this is not going to stand. Mrs. Fletcher thinks that Ashley Vickers and Peter Braille has something to do with it because of the funding of his Broadway show, his off-off-Broadway show. And they, and Grady gets out of jail. Well, he doesn't get put into jail, but he gets to be able to leave the police station. And they go to a restaurant across the street, and it just so happens that Ashley Vickers is, has, is also at the police station getting questioned and also comes over to the restaurant to do a phone call. And as they're all sitting there, they're talking about her openly in the public settings. Like, Kit basically accuses her of having slept with Mr. McCollum, even though she explains in an earlier scene at the party that she doesn't, and Kit is standing right there when she does. She comes in, Mrs. Fletcher makes a beeline for her, and it turns out that Ashley Vickers couldn't have killed Mr. Baxtendale because at the time of the murder, she was getting her dress washed by Mrs. Fletcher. Dun, dun, dun. So Mrs. Fletcher is now there to stay to help solve the crime to get Grady off so that he doesn't end up going to jail for murder. This will not be the first time that she has to do this. Believe me. So, after that, so after this, Jessica gets into a cab to go see Captain McCollum to get some more background on Ashley Vickers and also talk to him about Grady and says that she doesn't think that Grady is linking out information about his company. He thinks otherwise. And she also tells him that he should watch out because maybe the killer is after him. But it wasn't Grady who killed Mr. Baxendale. She asks him how his costume got on Mr. Baxendale and he has no idea. She becomes friends with the cab driver and gives him some special ointment to rub on his feet because they're always painful. And then for the rest of the episode, he becomes her personal cab driver. See, she makes friends with everyone. That night, she asks if she could go with Grady to his work to look in Ashley Vickers' office. So, breaking and entering. They go to his work. Grady over-explains why they're there. And Mrs. Fletcher tells him when they walk away from the guard, she's like, make it simple, Grady. Simple and to the point. You don't need to over-explain yourself. She goes to Ashley's office and she's looking around and Ashley happens to come back to the office 
Mrs. Fletcher hides in a closet, waits for her to come out. She talks to someone on the phone and says she's going to meet them. And Mrs. Fletcher ends up leaving Grady alone at the office and goes after Ashley and sees that she gets on a bus. She tries to get a cab where we see a noticeable stunt double who looks way younger than she does, than Angela Lansbury, for when she's in the middle of the street. No one will stop for her, and then she almost gets hit by a bus that is driven by the same actor that played Stanley Sabornak on The Golden Girls. He gets on the bus, or she gets on the bus, and she asks him if his bus is going to follow the bus that's ahead. And uh, she said, are you going the same place that bus is going? And he says, yes, lady. One way, that's the way the buses go. And his character's name is George. So she doesn't have the exact change. And there's this woman on the bus that has change. And she's the same woman from the Goonies that'll play the really annoying villain, the mother and the Goonies that like goes after them. Really like her. She doesn't get a credit in this episode either because she's only there for like blink and you'll miss her moment. Well, the bus ahead, like Mrs. Fletcher tries to stand up and he's like, you have to sit down. And then she's like, George is just really annoyed with her. And then the bus ahead stops and she's, and we keep cutting to this, black teenager that's on the bus and uh the bus stops ahead of her but Ashley Vickers is on and she's like oh George I want to get off and he's like I'm not supposed to stop randomly but for you lady I'll give an exception so he stops the bus and she gets off and the black teenager follows her as she's walking down the street trying to find where Ashley Vickers has gone um two thieves come up and try to take her purse she's like oh please let me pass leave me alone i'm gonna call the police and a noticeable change happens where we see the stunt double again and they don't even make make it a point to even like hide this fact i don't know if it's because it was remastered for the dvd release and you could just tell it now but like the woman looks so young and she's wearing a wig that kind of looks like Angela Lansbury's hair but it's not even close then we cut to close up of her against the wall and the black teenager from the bus ends up attacking the two thieves and saving her and he tells her that his name is Clarence and that he recognized her on the bus that he read her book and then he's like, don't you know, Mrs. Fletcher, you're famous. And they turn around and there's a poster on the wall of her promoting her book. And there's a mustache drawn on her face. And they both start laughing. And I love how this is set up because they make you think that he's going to attack her. But he actually saves her. And I love that. I think that is just so wonderfully and brilliantly written. So she goes back to the hotel. Preston Giles is there. He's worried about her. Kit is worried about her. Grady's worried about her. And um, she's like, enough with all this fiddle-faddle. We have things that we have to figure out. She was like, we have to look in the paper to find out about 
where Peter Braille's having his off-Broadway play because, or off-Broadway show, because that is exactly where, um, I lost her. Mrs. Fletcher then calls Chief Gunderson, tells her all the information she has found, and tells him that he must look into Ashley Vickers. And he says, okay, I'll look into it tomorrow. She finds the theater and decides to go. And a woman is auditioning who's not very good. She works the switchboard. She's an operator. She's not singing very good. And... You can tell that this dude likes her because she has big breasts. Because Peter Braille, like, says this in the most intelligent way. And she realizes what he's saying and goes, oh, yeah. Like, she is one of those voices that would be great for cartoons. And again, I don't know what her name is, and she doesn't get a credit either. But she's so good in that small little role. And Mrs. Fletcher just appears out of nowhere and says, yes, where did you get the money for this Broadway show, Mr. Braille? And he denies it at first and denies it and denies it until he's backed into a corner and Ashley Vickers, who also happens to be there, comes out and says, just tell her, Peter. She says, yes, I'm the one that gave him the money. I stole from Captain McCaleb's company because he's been hitting on me and wouldn't leave me alone, so that was my revenge. But Peter did not kill Cap did not kill Mr. Baxtendale. So that ends that. They're not killers, just, you know, money stealers. So Grady Grady is exonerated, at least in that part. Meanwhile, Chief Gunderson gets a tip to go to Captain McCollum's boat where Jessica was earlier and two policemen are also there and they put a gun to his head and is like you know put your hands up he gives them his badge and they were sent there due to an anonymous tip as well and they basically find Captain McCullum dead basically to throw Jessica off the scent It seems that Louise has been indicated in his murder. Chief Gunderson shows up and basically says that he's going to go fishing, that he's not in charge of the case anymore. It's now out of his jurisdiction. And that Louise was not arrested for his murder. She was just questioned. So Mrs. Fletcher is willing to let it go. And even though she has lingering feelings for Preston, she decides she must go back to Cabot Cove. It's too soon for her after her husband has died for her to engage in a relationship. And she just wants to go. She gets on the train, says goodbye to Grady. She gets on the train and she's reading a paper and she has her epiphany moment. She realizes who the killer is and she's, she can't believe it. She gets off the train. She takes a train to the to Preston's house. A cab driver takes her there and, he, and she says, can you please wait here? And he says, lady, you don't want to go in here. Haven't you heard? A murder happened here. And she said, yes, I was here when it happened. She said, I'll be okay. 
she goes in the backyard where the pool is and she's looking at something and Preston shows up and all at once you realize he's the killer. And I can watch this over a thousand times and I'm still surprised that they did it. And it's so cleverly written because it's like those film noir things and those 1940s serials where the detective always falls for the main woman murder suspect. And did, they did that with Jessica and it's so good. So good. So she's waiting for the lights to come out. And it seems as if Mr. Baxtendale was killed at 11.15. The lights don't go out until 12. And she realizes that he's the killer because when he talked in the kitchen about the reporter, the reporter was a woman, not a man. So he wasn't talking to that reporter. He was talking to Mr. Baxtendale. So this is the story in a nutshell. Preston Giles apparently was a huge construction guy and an apartment building collapsed and killed people. And even though he only drew the plans, he didn't design it. He was the escape goat and went to jail for 15 years. He escaped two years before his sentence was up And from afar, he financially ruined his three partners who got off scot-free. Then he came up with a fake name of Preston Giles. And everyone assumed that he died in his prison attempt to escape. Except for one detective, Mr. Dexter Baxtendale. He did not recognize him right away. But Mr. Baxtendale recognized him. And wanted to talk to him about what had happened. So he met him out by the pool and he shot him. Then he killed Mr. Captain McCollum to cover up and get suspicion off himself. And Mrs. Fletcher cries and was hoping that it would not be true because she fell in love with him. And he says he will go to Chief Gunderson and do a full confession. And I know that he comes back in another episode, and I can't wait to get to that episode. And it ends with Mrs. Fletcher getting on the train and decides to go back to Cabot Cove. She tells Grady and Kit that they that she doesn't want them to elope. She wants them to get married in her parlor. Although that doesn't happen, Grady has a really sketchy love life on the show. And she says, but Mrs. Fletcher... The police need your help. They found two wrestlers dead in Madison Square Garden. One was stabbed and the other was drowned. And she was like, I'm going home. Goodbye, child. Goodbye, children. And then as the train's pulling away, she goes, drowned? And that's the end. Such a solid pilot episode. Now let's go over the famous guest stars. I like doing that. To educate you about who was in this episode and if they appeared in another episode. Jessica Brown played the role of Kate Donovan. And as I said, she doesn't have a lot of credits. She's known for Fresh Heroes, Murder She Wrote, After Mash, and a show called Jesse. 
she's only been in four things. And pretty much, Jesse was a TV series, Murder, She Wrote, and After MASH as a nurse, and Fresh Horses, Woman at Engagement Party. So she didn't have a very big, huge career. And with the scene where she screams over the dead body in the pool, I can understand. I mean, I don't... She probably had to do that several times. And maybe the take they used wasn't good. But, yeah. Burt Combe played Peter Braille. And like I said, he's known for being a game show host more than anything else. But he did dabble in acting. And I know, I think, he appears in some other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. He passed away in 1991 at the age of 57. He's known for Cannibal Run, Weekend Warriors, The Snoop Sisters, and Hero at Large. His last known credit is The People Next Door. He was also on The Love Boat, Love, Love Boat. And he will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote. Christopher Bundy died on Sunday. And he was in Fantasy Island. But he was a, he did a lot of guest hosts for game shows like Password and Password Plus. Love those. Herb Edelman played the role of George the Bus Driver. Like I said, he's known for being on The Golden Girl with Stanley Sabornak. And as you all know, Angela Lansbury was best friends with Bea Arthur, who played the role of Dorothy Zabornak and they were became best friends being in the um the Broadway musical Mame and they both won Tony Awards. He's known for The Odd Couple, 1968, The Golden Girls, Barefoot in the Park, and California Suites. All good things. He passed away in 1996 at the age of 62. And he will appear in a handful of episodes of Murder, She Wrote. So we'll go over more of his credentials later on. Anne Francis played the role of Louise McCollum. And I know her also from The Golden Girls. She played Trudy McMahon, Dorothy's friend. So it all comes full circle in high school. Um, She passed away in 2011 at the age of 80. She's known for Forbidden Planet, Bad Day at Black Rock, Honey West, and the Sad- Satan Bug. Her last known credit is the TV series Wild Trace. She was also in Fantasy Island, Home Improvement, The Drew Carey Show. And she will appear in a couple other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. And she played Trudy, yes, on The Golden Girls, in the episode entitled Till Death Do We Valley, which is a hilarious episode. Um, We won't go over Michael Horton's credentials because I know that he appears in several episodes of Murder, She Wrote, so we'll go over him at a later time. Trisha O'Neill played the role of Ashley Vickers. She's still alive. And she is known for Titanic as woman, which could be any woman. Babylon 5, Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Her last known credit is from 2010 called The Story of a Lifetime. 
So you guys start on JAG. Um, a TV series from 2000 called Titans, not the one that's on HBO Max. The original Beverly Hills 90210, Madlock, Doogie Howser, and she'll appear in a handful of other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. So we'll go over more of her credentials later on. She did such a good job as that character. Dennis Patrick played the role of, De- of Dexter Baxtondale, our murder victim. He passed away in 2002 at the age of 84. He's known for Dark Shadows, ooh, the soap opera, The Bionic Woman, Six Million Dollar Man, and House of Dark Shadows. His last known credit is 1994's The Air Up There, and he will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote. So that's great. We'll go over more of the credentials when we get there. Like I said, Ned Beatty played the role of uh, Chief Gunderson. And he passed away a few months ago on June 13th at the age of 83. Such a wonderful, wonderful actor. Network Deliverance, Superman, and Shooter. His last known movie that he did before his death was Baggage Claim. And he did the voice of, of, of the villain in Toy Story 3. Absolutely love him. And I think this is his only thing that he did for Murder, She Wrote. Yep. Which is so sad because I think he could have done a lot of characters on there. But he had such a great career, such a great actor. Arthur Hill played our murderer, Mr. Preston Giles. Really good, I might add. Apparently him and Angela Lansbury was in a film together. Um, He passed away in 2006 at the age of 84. He's known for the Abnormal Stain, A Bridge Too Far, Harper, and A Little Romance. And his last known credit is Murder, She Wrote. He will appear in an epi- another episode as Preston Giles in 1990. So we'll go over more of his credits when we get to that episode. Um, Brian Keith played the role of Caleb McCollin, our second murder victim. And he'll be the last guest star we talk about. Um, he died in 1997 at the age of 75. He's known for The Parent Trap, the original in 1961, Young Guns, The Wind and the Lion, Reflections of a Golden Eye. Last known credit, Follow Your Heart in 1999. He voiced Uncle Ben on Superman the Animated Series in 1995. I think this is probably his only episode of Murder, She Wrote, if I can recall. Yes. His only episode. And... Let's see, um, I can't remember what film Arthur Hill and Jessica was, or Angela Lansbury is supposed to be. They were in something. 
Oh, and they say that the actor Andy Garcia plays one of the street thugs, but they, but it's so quick and you'll miss him. So I don't think it's worth, you know. Okay. Angela Lansbury and Arthur Hill played together in the movie In the Cool Light of Day in 1963. I've never seen that movie. But she will have a lot of her um, fellow co-stars in there. Well, this was my very first episode talking about the pilot movie. I think that this holds up to this very day. Lots of twists and turns, lots of red herrings. I absolutely love the movie. And I will see you in the next one where I'm going to be talking about the very first episode of the first season. So I hope that you enjoyed what you just listened to. I hope you follow or whatever it is that you do on this platform. I'm not entirely sure just yet. Um, I hope that you liked what you listened to. I hope that I entertained you, made you laugh, made you think. And maybe we we noticed the same things in the episode. So I'll see you in the next one. Have a good day, night, depending on um, when you're listening to this. And stay cool because it's been hot lately, especially here in Kentucky where I live. And um, I hope everyone's staying safe out there. And happy crime solving. Bye.